0: If you're a dad, uh, raise your hand. Um, everybody around you, extend a hand in just a second—not right now—but extend a hand to them. We're going to pray for them. And uh, I was kind of thinking about this last this last weekend about um, a scripture that the Lord gave me the night of my father, my earthly father's funeral. And that was Psalm 68.5. I was 19. Um, I have a son who's 19 now. It's kind of a trip to think about that. When I was 19, my dad passed away. And uh, at all leading up to the events going to the funeral, um, I felt like I had a purpose. I had God's calling to um, minister as much as I could. Being a whole mature Christian of about nine months in my walk with the Lord. Um, and the Lord uh, blessed the, that time significantly, but it wasn't anything like that night of the funeral, and I was by myself. Everybody else had gone to bed, and um, I was sitting up late, and I was just, for the first time, I really kind of hit one of those low, low, really low points, like just bummed, like this is going to be crazy. Uh, what does life look like now? What it, what's going to happen to my mom? Um, what's going to happen to me? I don't know if I'll still stay in college or have to drop out and work, Or what? It really looked like a uh, a dark future. And Father's Day, obviously, is I can identify, relate to people that you know go without a dad on that day, or maybe you weren't, maybe didn't know your dad, or maybe just wasn't around, or different things, or maybe your dad has passed on. But uh, let me encourage you with a scripture that God. When I was I was all of nine months in the Lord, and I was just praying, God, if I know you're with me. If you could do something to uh, encourage my heart, that would be much appreciated. You guys have been in places like that where you're just like, anything, God, just give me anything. I'll take whatever you can give. Just the crumbs off the table type moments. And uh, the, the, the Lord, I just kind of felt like, you know what, there's got to be something in His Word for me. And wouldn't you know? Open opened my Bible and I started fanning the pages. And uh, preachers will often say, this isn't what I recommend, that you just kind of take a stab and wherever your, you know, finger lay, uh, that's the scripture for you, you know. And uh, often they use the example of Judas went out and hung himself as an example, like what if you hit that one? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. But God works in mysterious ways, yes? So, I looked down and I just felt like, stop here. And would you... uh, glory in the fact with me for a second that God said I I literally of all the Psalm 68 my eyes went straight down to verse 5 It says a father of the fatherless a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation God sets the solitary in families and brings out those who are bound into prosperity but rebellious dwell in a dry land and really verse 5 is all I needed all I needed for that day to say wow Lord's with me Lord's gonna be with me Lord's gonna be faithful Lord's going to take care of my mom. Lord's going to take care of me. He's going to show me how to be a man because I was feeling that loss at that time. So every time Father's Day comes around and I think about that loss as much as anything else in celebrating my Heavenly Father, I'm reminded of the fact of how faithful he's been and how faithful he will always be and how faithful I can encourage everyone that I'm just like you, you're just like me, and really just in desperate need when it comes down to it for God to move in your life. To remind you that he is faithful as a father to you. And the, the cool, one of the cool things about the word, the Bible, the Holy Spirit who inspired men to write down the heart of God. He said such audacious, crazy things. We're going to look at this in part as we go through the word this morning in Acts. That we can actually come to, come to that God and call him something like daddy. And that word is Abba in the in the Aramaic Abba with daddy, intimacy, closeness, love, relationship. Um, Not a demanding overlord who's in heaven waiting for us to mess up, but one who wants to pick us up as a sheep, as a good shepherd would, and lead us to good green pasture. So let's celebrate that together. And let's pray for our dads. Let's pray that they can be good emulators of that Heavenly Father. That we would be, in a sense, those Abbas to our families and do it well. Because if you're doing your job, it's to be like God, in a sense. We can't do that. We're imperfect people. But as good dads, we want to take our children and we want to bring them close. And we want to provide for them and we want to be faithful to them. We want to lead them into the arms of our Heavenly Father who will not ever fail them, will not be unfaithful. Amen? So, dads, raise your hand. Those around, feel free to get up or move around, but let's put a hand on. So let's make sure that every dad has at least a hand on them. If you're a dad and you came by yourself, God bless you. We want to surround you with prayer. So raise those hands up. I'm going to lead us in prayer that we might pray together for our dads and give thanks for him. And if he's not here with you and you're thinking of your dad, that he would be blessed as well. So Father, thank you God that we're here this morning because we have a loving Father in heaven who is a father to the fatherless, who is a defender of widows. God, thank you that this morning that us human dads, we recognize God first of all that you love us and we want to say thank you for that. We also want to say how we need the prayers of other people to be godly dads, to be dads who who live their lives for you first and foremost, and then dads that, that let the love of God spill over into the families that we've been blessed with. And pray for each of my brothers that are that dads here in this place. And we honor them today. We give them uh, the respect due to their efforts to love us, to serve us. Thank you for the brotherhood of dads in this church. We pray for those who would be desiring to be a father themselves that you would comfort them even today and remind them of your faithfulness God that has a distinct plan for their lives beyond uh, their immediate biological offspring Lord we thank you that we can be dads one another to each other's children that we can be a community that loves and serves one another in such a way that that dads hold that prominent place that no others could fill fathers of the faith leading others to you. So empower us to do that in our community of faith. Empower us to do that in our homes. Lord Jesus, please, we, we celebrate today our dads and we ask that you would just bless them richly. We thank you for them. But above all else, God, we say thank you, Jesus, for being the father that we love and adore as we sang this morning. For you are truly an amazing father to us, full of goodness, slow to anger, rich in love, You canceled out our sins, and we say hallelujah. Praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So happy Father's Day, dads. Today we're in Acts 9. We're going through this Acts. We're continuing on. If you were with us in the previous few weeks, we have five different of us that are taking teaching duties over 10 weeks while Pastor Brian's getting a bit of a rest, a bit of a break He's been doing it for a long time now, and uh, we're, we're, we're thankful to have him be able to take that break. And myself and Pastor Gunther, who is up here talking about food, <laughs> he'll be teaching. As will our high school pastor, Nick Bilch. As will our junior high pastor, Eric Maldonado. As will uh, the coordinator leader of our young professionals group, Luke Lamas. You guys, all these guys have a gift of teaching. We're blessed to have them uh, share the book of Acts. We're going to keep going right on through. Because we hold the value of the word of God to be so high that we don't want you to miss anything and uh, out of the book of Acts. And, and it's awesome to be entrusted with his word this morning. We're going to be at Acts 9.31. Um, by the way, the slides, just for a word of information, the slides and what I'm reading out of is, is the New King James. Uh, we use, and your Bibles that passed out, were uh, the ASV, the English Standard Version, Great Version. Brian teaches out of that. I just can't get away from my Bible. You know how you make enough notes? And you've had a Bible as long as I have with the New King James. I just can't get out of it. It's what I teach out of, usually. So it's, it's pretty similar. You shouldn't be confused at all, but just wanted to give you that heads up. Let's pray, actually, that God would open his word to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you that right now we can open your word with excitement, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here to instruct, to admonish, to teach us, Lord. We thank you that, that we know when you check our hearts, when we're pricked, when we're encouraged, when we're strengthened in, in specific ways, that you're at work, and so we don't want to miss it this morning. So I pray you would set me aside, glorify yourself this morning through your word as we go through it now. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to guide, lead, and instruct us, and help us walk out of here with a renewed sense of your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Acts 9.31. Just a little bit of context before we dive in. uh, uh, This is the last part of Jewish focus here before we take... Uh, we have a little bit of Paul becoming Paul, was Saul, got converted. We get a little bit of Peter, which we're going to look at this morning in the next couple weeks. And then, we, then we're off and running with Paul now in his missionary journeys. And so this is a little bit of, of the last glimpse, not last glimpse, but a glimpse nonetheless of how the Jewish churches were starting to get going and how they were doing, uh, the word starting to spread. And this is the context of what we're looking at today today. Before the spotlight goes on Paul, we're going to look at Peter. So everybody, if you didn't know about, much about Peter before this morning, you're going to get a little bit more information about him and also the impact that he had as he was being used by God in the churches in the area of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Um, also, Saul being converted, um, he's already ministering. He's off to the races. And I think uh, it's amazing to, to think about somebody being a father to the Gentiles in faith, being somebody like Paul, kind of this guy that is newer to the scene of, of Christianity, if you will, following Jesus. But Peter's been there all along. Peter's been there all along. He's been there. He's one of the original twelve apostles. He, he was one of the three kind of inner circle with James and John in ministering to people with Jesus. Think about that. Three years with Christ right in your immediate vicinity, right next. You're eating with Him. You're hanging out with Him. You're listening to Him. You're hearing Him instruct the masses as well as the person by person. You're, you're there with Him step by step. We're going to look a little bit more about that. But the instruction here in verse 31, or the description, is then in the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So the church... Is growing. Let's take a look about at that a little bit before we get into Peter. It says they had peace and they were edified. So there's a little map. I don't know if you guys can see that. Nah, I probably can't from the back especially. But the top area, you'll see the Sea of Galilee is at the top, the Dead Sea at the bottom, Mediterranean Sea of course to the left there, and that real estate from sea to sea between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea at the top would be Galilee. The middle area would be more of Samaria. And the bottom would be, be where Judea is, where you have Jerusalem. I always think of uh, just match the J's. If you, it was Jerusalem and Judea, or was that Israel, when the divided kingdom and so forth, just match the J's, Jerusalem and Judea. And it says, the description is throughout this area, all that real estate. It says the churches, we don't know exactly how many there were, but gospel had spread enough to where you have groups of people in fellowship together, focusing their hearts on the Messiah. On Jesus the Messiah. Jewish believers who had been instructed in the ways of God, had been memorizing the Torah for all their lives, had been celebrating the feasts and the holidays, they're all this in step with their faith, their faith that's been passed on from Father to Father. And then you get Jesus on the scene, proclaiming himself to be the Son of Man, Son of God, rises from the dead, and you have these people that are ripe for harvest. You have people that have been prepared. for the Messiah, they've been waiting eagerly for him. And many turned away when it came to the crucifixion because they just could not put those pieces together that the Messiah would actually die on a cross. But, oh, those who did, boy, what joy overtook their hearts. What amazing, can you imagine just being a Jew raised in a Jewish faith for a second and just think about the Messiah in the scriptures in Isaiah Scriptures in Genesis, uh, scriptures in the Law. Jesus saying, "All that's about Me," and you see it click because you start reading your Bible and you're like, "Wow, Jesus, I see this now. How you are the Anointed One. You are the Messiah. You are the one we we're waiting for." And the joy and the peace and the understanding that must have just taken over them with such excitement. We get so routine in our Christianity. We realize. That sometimes we just get so used to things that we lose that aspect. That there was an expected Messiah that was foretold in scriptures millennia before. And he came in the form of a babe in a manger. And really threw everybody on their head. And yet, did everything to fulfill the scriptures that had been intended for him to fulfill. And so these churches, they're starting to say, hey, have you, did you read that passage in the Psalms? You know, Psalm 68.5. Did you read about that? Do you know who the father of the father is? That's the Messiah. We got to hang out with him. He multiplied the fish. Do you remember that? You know, and all these stories being exchanged, all these churches were starting to blossom, and it says they were at peace and were edified. That peace, that word peace in the Greek, it's absence of war. Of course, there was a little bit of reprieve, but even the scripture right before this, it's not that they were absent of all trial, Because it says, uh, even in verse 23, look at that. It says, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul. (laughs) So it's not like they're absent of war and and punishment and persecution that had peace, although that's what the word means as much as they had inward peace. They had inward peace, which is the best peace you can have amidst trial. So they had peace, and they also were being built up. They were edified. The, The next word in the Greek oikodomeo means to build up literally means to build a house build it from the from the ground up these guys had teachers they had fellowship they were praying together they were giving as each other had need as acts and earlier describes and it says they were being edified and they were being built up so these churches were strong they had strength even though there was persecution they had peace internally the persecution hadn't stopped, but the hearts were good, and even at death. Right there, I'm just going to pause and say, boy, do I need to pray for that kind of peace. Because if, if I'm not going through something now that caused me to be anxious and nervous, something's right around the corner. Um, I, I've been married long enough now to be scared of my wife's prayers. I think I have mentioned this before. <laughs> it's not what you think. No, prayers of, Lord, I'm feeling a little bit too comfortable right now. She's not allowed to pray that anymore. <laughs> She's not allowed to think that anymore either. Um, but we, we want that eternal, in, internal, I should say, peace, right? That's what I want. So that no matter what's happening out there, in our immediate or in other people's lives as well, that uh that we're steadfast that we're stable you know jesus said if you hear my words and you put them into practice in your life if you really believe me at what i say you're going to be solid on rock your house is going to be built edified if you were you're going to be edified your house is going to be stable because you're on firm foundation which is what it's that that fact that we have a messiah who was born came son of man gave his life forgave us of sin there at their seat at the right hand of the Father forevermore. If you're, if you're taking that credible source's words and living it out, applying it to your life, just like things like, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worry there to be had already. Don't worry about your, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, all that stuff. But you're going to be founded on the rock and you're not going to be moved when outside trials happening. Those are the things that, that I think about when I think about these churches. They're believing it and they're steadfast. They were believing it, and they were at peace. They were believing it, and even as people were being threatened to be killed, or in the case of like Stephen that we looked at a few weeks ago, who died because he was stoned by real rocks that hit his real head, then you're still at a place of peace. So Calvary slow. May we be building each other up. Calvary slow. May we be edifying one another. May you be using your gifts as I use mine for the sake of each other's benefit and being rooted and grounded and steadfast in the truth that Jesus reigns yesterday, today, and tomorrow and will never, ever, ever be off the throne of God. Ever, ever stressed. He will never, ever be in a place of, ah, I didn't see this coming. I really wish I would have thought of these things before they happened because then I would have had a plan for my child and this child and that child. Amen? We are steadfast. We are not going to be moved. No matter what culture says, what no matter popular opinion is, no matter what president sits in office come November, as scary as that may be as a side note. <laughs> By the way, a little parenthetical for you as a bonus for coming this morning. What if we had them tie and they both had to win and then they had to work together for four years? I threw it by my family, who's here. They were pretty stoked on the idea, I think. (laughs) Fear and comfort. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So when we have this confidence, apparently there's effect that happens, as recorded in Acts here. Fear, that word phobos, it's fear. It really means the fear of the Lord is really to be scared of him. Some of us don't feel comfortable with that terminology. I understand that. I don't completely embrace it myself without feeling, well... But really, you guys, it really does mean fear. It really it means trembling. It means you're, you're so struck with the awe of God that, that you can't stand upright. And you see that in the scriptures repeatedly, right? You see that as people encounter, not even God, but an angel. They're just struck with terror. They fall down as if they're dead. There's something about seeing the spiritual for what it is, you guys... That leads people to be awestricken with fear. But the reason why the fear of the Lord is so good is that it's who you're fearing that's the key. Now, if I, if I came in with some type of weapon, you would fear me right away. That's not the fear we're talking about. We're talking about the fear of, in the Greek, kyrios. Kyrios and doulos. We've talked about this before, where Kyrios is the master, doulos is the accompanying term, and that means slave. In this case, we're looking at the master of reality, the master of everything we see and don't see, the master who reigns on heaven as well as on earth forevermore. And that's who we're fearing. Why do we fear him? Because he's so holy that if we got one glimpse of him, think of this, there was a reason that God put his hand over Moses as he passed by with his glory. Remember that? There's a reason for that, for Moses' own protection. For our own protection. See, when you go before God and you don't have covering of Jesus' blood, you better believe her to fear Him. Because you die. Another example of this. If you didn't fear God and you're like a, a Jew being raised, even in this time, you're like, hey, I'm going to go by the temple today, honey. I'm going to stop by. I'll probably hang out a couple, couple hours with God. Hang out in the Holy of Holies and then I'll be home. You didn't do that, right? Why? Well, there's a certain value in being uncomfortable with something so beyond you that it strikes fear in your inner core that I am in a place where I don't belong. You guys, we don't belong with God. We don't we don't we don't we shouldn't feel comfortable with just hanging out with God. That's not the point. That we do we're brought in to an Abba child relationship for sure, but we're never to get so comfortable that we forget who we're getting comfortable with. And it's only because his actions on our behalf have happened that we can even get close as being at the gates outside him, being looking in. We're talking about someone who says, "I am holy. You're to be holy. I'm holy without impurity. I'm bringing in people with impurities." by choice, but in order for them not to be fearful, this is where you're thinking with those scriptures if you're like me, but what about perfect love casts out fear? Well, here's where this applies. It's kind of like um, if you have a remedy for the ill, this being our sin, if you guys just, just hear me out here for a second, if you have a remedy for sin, God's chosen to give you that remedy. It's by his grace and his grace alone. Amen? He's given you the remedy. You're able to come into the Holy of Holies that ordinarily would kill because we're impure and we're brought in, the perfection of God, imposed on our account, righteousness given on our behalf, only because he died in our place and shed his perfect blood. That's the only way you can be comfortable or not fear of dying when you're in God's presence. But praise the Lord, he didn't see our dilemma and ignore it. He saw our dilemma and cured it. He saw a dilemma and cured it. He said, I'm, I know what has to cost them in order to be in my presence to not be dead and stricken. Turn over to Isaiah 6 really quick. It's worth it. Just see an example of this. Look at, the, look at this. It's just a classic picture into seeing God. Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. In the year that King Uzziah died, many of you are familiar with the scripture, it's classic. Saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So, who, who's writing this? Isaiah is. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above the throne stood seraphim, those are angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, "Holy, look at the words they 're using. not loving, not merciful, but holy. The, the implications are deep. holy, holy, holy it 's said in triplicate that 's in itself significant of the truth of the matter. There is no darkness at all in the Lord of hosts. Holy is he, The whole earth is full of his glory in the in the, the priests, and the posts of the door." were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, what? What did he say? Woe is me. I think that's the fear of God. Applied right, rightly, right? Applied rightly. Woe is me. He saw that he was undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the curios the Lord of hosts. Amen and amen. Now look at Where does comfort come in? They had the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Here's the comfort that was described earlier. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Where do you meet God? As you meet him at the altar. It says he took tongs, took a live coal, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. So there's the comfort. There's the fear. There's the comfort. Did Isaiah die? No. Was he cast out? No way. What was he done? What was was done to him, I should say? Was that he was cleansed. You guys, if you don't have Jesus as your Messiah, you stand uncleansed. And if you, and you will... Upon departure of this life into the next, you will meet that God. And with every sincere fiber in my being, I would say, don't see God without the remedy, without the cold touching your lips, without you recognizing you for who you are as unclean in a pure, holy God's presence. And as such, you would receive that, receive that touch from Him, and you yourselves would be cleansed in the innermost recesses of your soul, so that we could all stand before him in fear of the Lord, in fear of the Kyrios, in fear of the Master, but comforted right then as well simultaneously to say, I have cleansed you. You are my child. We're going to hang out a lot. Praise God, huh? Praise Praise God. Isaiah 6 is in the Bible. Wow. Gives you something to look forward to. You're going to join that chorus if you're in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. So, what happened? Well, next slide. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were, what? Multiplied. It was contagious. The impact that was having its effect in their lives led to other people coming to know Jesus and getting saved. And the churches were growing. And Peter, segueing into Peter, is a great, great example of when we fear the Lord and we're comforted simultaneously in our journeys with Him, we're cleansed, we're comforted in that way, and we're comforted in our walk with Him, then multiplication happens naturally, doesn't it? Efforts on the part of our human nature to grow a church is not what's going to be blessed in and of itself. It's going to be us really experiencing the holiness of God, the fear of God, Translated into realizing the comforts there in the cleansing of God and then our expressions of joy of that cleansing, that we didn't die in his presence, that he has moreover died in our place instead. People are going to get saved. If, if you have wanted to have evangelism take place in your life, get stoked on the fact that you're undone but you got cleansed. It'll just be natural. It'll be, it'll, the church will multiply. So let's look at Peter. We have two things to look at, Peter. By the way, I didn't mention this. But, but it's significant, because right after Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm done, he gets touched by the coal. What does he say in response to all of that? You guys remember the story? What does he say? He says, here am I. Send me, God. That's what his reaction was. What's that? That's evangelism, Right? That's like, send me, I'll go. So fear plus comfort plus send me equals impact. That's why I forgot to mention there. So let's look at Peter. Uh, There's a book I was reading, uh, Philip Schaff wrote, History of the Christian Church. And these next two passages of scripture we'll look at briefly is um, talking about Peter. But I want to, before we get into that, I want to look at Peter because I think the impact is this, that you may feel very... Uh, I guess inadequate to be used of God, but I just want you to know all you have to do is see God, be comforted by Him, and, uh, and you too will be used by God in amazing ways in the lives of each other and other people that don't know Him yet. But look at this. In the Christian church, according to this, I thought he summarized it well, that we see Peter in the following ways. There's kind of a, a development of Peter, if you will, of the apostle. Think back into all the experiences, like I said earlier, that Peter had. But in the Gospels, we see what? We see that we see his human nature, there's, there, uh, Peter's up there as far as fascinating studies in the scripture, period. And I can relate to Peter on many levels. I think you guys can too. Why? Because he's very human. And Peter is very close with guys like Mark. If, if I'd been buddies with Mark, I would have said, hey, leave that part out. Leave that part out of your account. Hey, why don't you leave that part out? And Luke, if I haven't even mentioned to him, he's writing something called Acts. I want to make sure he gets out some stuff too and emphasizes the good part. Because there's a lot of human nature in him. So we see that in the Gospels. The next is the book of Acts. We see his divine mission. And this is what we're looking at in part today. And then finally, when he writes his own letters to churches, to believers, in Jesus, we see the complete triumph of the divine grace. Where he's got it. He's he's understanding. He's living it to the point where he's passing on as a father of the faith. That's the development. Guys, we're all being developed, aren't we? And praise God for it. Some good news? Is that he's the author and he's the what of our faith? Oh, praise God for that, huh? As much as we blow it, as much as we turn away from God, as much as we make mistakes, as much as we turn people off to the very gospel that we want to promote, he is merciful and he will do a work to bring it to completion. And Peter is an encouragement in that. So let's look at some things about Peter in Scripture briefly. As, as summarized by Philip Schaff in his book, History of the Christian Church, uh, he was the strongest and yet the weakest of the twelve of apostles. He received the highest praise and yet the severest censure from Jesus. For example, he was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah, as recorded in the, in the, in the scriptures. But he also has that thing that must have rang in his ears for years afterwards, get behind me, Satan, uttered to him by the Lord when he said, you're not going to the cross. Remember that? Can you imagine that kind of memory bank of memories with the Savior himself? Kind of that kind of, you know, chasm between the two. But I can relate to that. Protest to Jesus washing his feet. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, right? And then Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're going to have no part of me. And he's like, okay, we're going to X that. We're going to go into this statement said, which is wash me from head to toe. Uh, Jesus is very patient, right? He cut off the soldier's ear in the garden. Just like, all right, this is it. I've had it. This guy's going down. Most people think he missed and just took off an ear when he was aiming for the whole head. I don't know. But nonetheless, Jesus picks up the ear, and what does he do? He said, this is not the way it's going to go down. Peter, you're a little impulsive. <laughs> and people are getting their hearing cut off because of it. We don't want them to lose hearing. We want them to hear the gospel so I'm going to pick up this ear and I'm going to put it back on his head so can you imagine Peter living that life I mean three years of memories guys I have over 25 years of walking with Jesus and there's certain highlights here and there but some of these stories that Peter experienced for example were crazy when you just when you just put it out on the table and just say this was nuts is this real did this really happen well yes it did okay but there's development in all this Think about the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is totally transformed in his presence into glorious, brilliant white, as if he's transfigured into his eternal glory. And then Peter doesn't respond with, with just, hey, I got some hammer, I got a hammer and some nails, we can build some tabernacles, and you guys can hang out and watch football together for a while. It was kind of like, didn't know what to say, so he said something. I can relate to that. So I don't, I don't poke fun at Peter, I get really encouraged by Peter, because I'm like, wow. <laughs> Jesus is very patient with me, especially as a dad, especially as a dad. We were talking in our family time a little bit, and I remember there was one time I was so in the flesh when one of my sons, who was um, he was just crying, and he wouldn't stop crying, and I And I got more and more elevated in my frustrations. And I could feel my blood boiling. He was just a little guy. And I didn't want to act out in my flesh. And so I resulted to God's gift of discipline, which is blowing in his face as hard as I could. (laughs) So I figured air won't hurt him. (laughs) But... He's still traumatized, I'm sure, by that event. And I felt horrible because of it. And he's here right now, so I'm going to apologize officially for doing that. I say that in, in somewhat of humor, but if you knew the, the circumstances, I walked right outside the house because I just knew it didn't matter ultimately if I blew in his face or if I actually went so far as, as to spank or hit, in, in, in not in a good way. That it really didn't matter because I was convicted. I wasn't in control. And one of the gifts of the spirit is self-control. And so I was like, thank you, Lord, that you didn't allow me to go off in a way I would regret. But I do regret not being in control and handling it in a way where I should have I scooped them up and talked to them, basically. And, and I was sharing that in a nutshell. And I was thinking, God's not through with me as a dad. That was the only encouragement I could get in that time of feeling such a failure. And uh, so encouragement to dads that you're on the road like Peter is and, and And Jesus even said in John 14, I believe it is, where he says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And it was right after he denied Jesus three times. So what an encouragement the scripture is to our souls. So let's get in. Uh, 32 through 35, we're still doing okay on time. It says, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Ananias, Ananias who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt at Lida and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now think about who's writing this, you guys, as we go into these things. Is it's a physician writing these accounts. Luke was a physician. he's recording these miraculous events plainly. They're just facts. He's letting them speak for themselves, though, and it says. Um, that he went into this, he went out into the country, and he came down to the saints. And he finds, it's an interesting word used, he finds Aeneas. Let's look at the healing at Lydda for a second. I want to highlight a couple things. And then I'm going to highlight a couple things from the healing at Joppa, and then we're going to compare them and close it. But he says, now uh, he went out away from Jerusalem, it's about 35 miles away, and he goes out, to minister, no doubt to encourage saints as we were described earlier. But it says it's out of all these things probably on Peter's to-do list, it says he found. He sought out and he found uh, this person. And I don't know why, and it doesn't tell us why. It just says he found a certain man. doesn't mean that was he walking along the way and he saw him there. I don't know. We're not told. But it does say that there's some things about him that Anais had been experiencing. And I want to... I gosh, sometimes we miss some of this stuff, and it's heavy duty when you think about it. This is a great book. It's called Moments with the Savior. I highly encourage anyone to pick it up. I've shared it with some people. It's A Devotional Life of Christ by Ken Geyer. Wonderful snaps, uh, snapshots of the Gospels and moments with Jesus that he embellishes with his own thoughts of what it might have been like. So it's not scripture... Uh, He gives the passage, but then he kind of elaborates on it in a very poetic way. And I just wanted to give you his uh, picture of the paralytic. This is a paralytic, uh, by the way, that Jesus healed where he was lowered down from the roof by four of his buddies. But a paralytic nonetheless. And I just wanted to read this because it kind of brings this out of how heavy this is. He says, as a paralytic, he stares at a bleak uh, future in the face. For there were no neurosurgeons back then and no specialists and no convalescent hospitals, and no physical therapists. There weren't any medical breakthroughs on the horizon. There weren't any miracle drugs in the medicine cabinet. Sympathy is the only prescription the community could dispense, and he's had enough of that. He doesn't want sympathy. He wants his life back. The life he has now is a horizontal one, full of bed sores and blank stares at the ceiling. It's his only priest, that ceiling, but it neither acknowledges his confessions nor accepts his penance. His spiny legs and arms from the bars to the cell that imprisons him, isolating him from the rest of the world. And so there he lays, alone, on a three-by-six-foot mat. And day after day, week after week, month after monotonous month, never able to rise and stretch with the morning sun, never able to socialize in the streets, never able to step out for a casual breath of fresh air, never able to walk off his frustrations like I did that night. Never able to have a change of scenery without inconveniencing a handful of other people. He has to rely on others for everything. For every sip of water, for every bite of food, for every time his bowels moved or his bladder needed relief, somebody else had to turn him and bathe him and clothe him. Listen to this. Dependency, humiliation, confinement, boredom, loneliness frustration, shame, and despair, these are just a few of the entries in the thesaurus that defines life on a three-by-foot-six mat. Three-by-six-foot mat. And, and so I read that of, of the paralytic in his words of kind of what that would be like. So imagine if we can impose that, if we will, uh, if you give me license to do that on, on this Aeneas who had been there eight years. So not eight days, not eight months, but eight years. And that, that's an elongated trial, isn't it? With, with none of the resources that we can have now at our disposal, he was very much dependent on the Savior. And as he heard Savior go to death and then die and rise again, he was probably, I would imagine, just grief-stricken and depressed at the least. But I would say this, that Jesus knew all along that he was suffering. And he had a plan, and Peter was his instrument of healing. And what a privilege for Peter himself to have gone through all the stuff we listed and to come upon this gentleman who had been suffering knowing divinely that he was going to bring healing to the man in some way however that worked I don't know but think about all that as one man tries to describe the adventure of another we all have different trials and, and each of us knows intimately what the experience of that trial is but uh, just to encourage everyone, including myself, that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And, and, and the encouragement is that us as believers, as we're able to be like a Peter to somebody else, that we would be praying simply this or something like it. Lord, I have 24 hours today as far as I last checked. Would you please use me in some type of miraculous way? in some type of way that would, if not heal somebody like this, would be an encouragement like a fresh glass of ice-cold water on a hot day. That we would used to be praying that for ourselves, that we would be used in that way. So, So it says that he was lonely, suffered eight years, lonely, dependent. We can only imagine how much. Isolated from fellowship, hurting. Plenty of time to think about God and his ways and how it pertained to himself. And this, I think, is the biggest struggle in our trials, by the way, is just when the devil really wants to whisper... How good can God be if he's allowed this for so long? Or just allowed this in your life? It's a lie because God knows exactly what he's doing and he sends Peter as God's instrument to Aeneas to heal him. And it just dawned on me you know, the paralyzed get to the synagogue in this day because someone else took them. It doesn't, it, it looks differently for different things of trial, but there's somebody waiting to be carried to the synagogue, in my opinion, in each and every trial that we go through. could be a card. could be uh, what I've been reminded of lately. A brother just asked me, he said, you know what, the best thing you can do for me is pray. The next thing you can do is text me a scripture to remind me to look to God. And I took that to heart and said, yeah, that's the least I can do. And I've been trying to do better at that. And it was really convicting for me. But that in itself can be what God's calling you to do in this day that we have. And I would just encourage you to be like Peter and just be ready to go. Or be like Isaiah and say, here, I, here am I, send me. So I can be encouragement to one another. Now in this case, man, what a celebration. Can you imagine? Luke's like, hey, there's a guy who's paralyzed eight years. By the way, Peter gets sent. He says, get up. And the guy gets up. And interesting, he says, and I don't know if this is humorous or not. I think it's, it is. it is. You know, with it, make your bed. <laughs> He's like, what? Make your bed. I don't know what that means. Uh, Lord didn't give me insight in it, but for right now, as I'm able to do, I'm just going to chuckle and say that was a good, good thing. You know, make your bed. And what did that mean? I have a guess. It's like don't leave and forget where you came from. The the Lord did such a healing. Look at this prison. You, it's time to make it because it's not your prison anymore. Can you imagine how the tears would be coming down his face when he's able to make his own bed? Just like this is the last time I'm ever coming back to this place again. And and it's all because we have a loving father who knows what we're going through. And how still could Peter be heading out the door? Crazy. Everybody gets blessed. So he rose immediately and all who dwelt in this area saw him and turned to the Lord. Let's look at the next healing by the way it's obviously Jesus knows what his need is but Peter knows who's healing him right it says Peter said Jesus the Christ heals you It's awesome Okay at Joppa there was a certain disciple 10 minutes were done Named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, where Peter was, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. What would that scene look like as he brings her out? Sometimes it's, a, it's time to shout praises in worship. And this is one of them. And Luke just, just throws it out there. <laughs> just, this is what they had for breakfast. And he presented her alive to everybody who was weeping. She had been dead, and they still went and got Peter. Rather, Go get him. There's still hope. We need the people that have hope, even when it's dead time. You know, people like that in your life, has God blessed you with people like that, with such contagious faith, that even when it's past due, the deadline's already passed, God still reminds them through that, those people in your life, that no, 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 let's keep calling. Let's keep imploring the Lord. Let's keep praying. Let's keep doing what we want. Let's, let's, let's go get Peter right now, and let's see what God would do. And if he doesn't do it, then, yeah, we're all still in the same place. But what if he does? What if God decides to do a crazy miracle in our midst? And can you imagine when she comes out, and Peter's like, you know, here, here's the hand. Let's go lead you out. He presents. I don't even know what that means. He presented her to, to the group of whalers of the people there. But nonetheless, think of this, you guys. They could have given up hope way before this and never experienced this at all. Because unlike Aeneas, they had to go get Peter for this one. So even the people that, you know, I was encouraged. if you know people like that, keep them close because you're going to need them. And it's all in Christ's divine will for your life that he brings us to places of its past due when it's really not. You know, even when it says, Tabitha did great works, uh, the grieving here is not fake. It's real. She was a blessing to that community. Did you see that? She was known by her good works. And, and it's not that good people don't die. God allows that to happen, but there's a purpose in it. She was loved. She was in a community who trusted God. And similar in ways to Jesus' heal, healing in Mark 5, Peter does this the same way as Jesus did it in Mark 5, you guys. Jairus' daughter, remember that story? Jesus says two words. Talitha, rise. This is Tabitha, rise. He did it the same way. He, he, he just said words to the dead girl. It was Jairus' daughter. He's like, don't bother Jesus anymore. She's already dead. He's like, don't worry. She's sleeping. Jesus said that. It was just cool. <laughs> and here's Peter imitating his rabbi and his savior. And we do well to do the same. So in closing, I just want to encourage you with this. Uh, you just really... What I can glean from this is, is one be encouraged that God can use you in crazy ways, like Peter it says in the Scripture. Elijah was a man just like us. Prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't rain. We prayed it would rain, it didn't rain. and it rained. I'm like, man, I get encouragement from that. Knowing the journey of these people in the Bible that we we can read so casually and forget the impact of this crazy stuff that we read, and think, you know what? It's not just all about what God wants to fill my head and knowledge of. Some crazy events he he wants all of us to take this these accounts as true accounts and say Lord here am I send me and if you don't know the Lord my encouragement is that you would come to him first and then just simply say Lord use me as a blessing to other people but regardless we all have this opportunity to just take this as information or actually interpret it as such to say Lord Thank you for being a father to me as you are. Lord, thank you for knowing my needs. Thank you for knowing the private struggles that I have. Thank you for knowing the eight years of intense suffering intimately. Thank you that I'm not alone. Thank you that you love me and you send Peters into my life and people that have faith that will go get a Peter. Thank you that you've surrounded me. And Lord, let me be comforted with the fact that you receive me Not as a broken vessel that has no hope, but one that you see in perfection through the Son, your beloved, as fully righteous and holy that you want to use as a vessel of blessing other people's lives. Guys, this is Peter's account, but the Lord Jesus wants us to take comfort in this, that he wants to use you. And some of you very well at this moment in life came in even this morning and thought, it's too late for me. It's past due. I'm already dead in a sense. God's got to be fed up with me. How can he use someone like me who's failed as much as I have? And, and I would just encourage you that God's not done with you. I had a brother, and I'll close with this, and worship team can come forward and we'll end in some music and worship God. But I had a brother once. He was, he was confessing sin. And, and um, I remember we were praying for him. And uh, I got an image... <laughs> from the Lord I felt like it was from the Lord and and I just shared it with him and I and it was him standing next to a horse but he was on the ground and the horse was already and saddled up ready to be ridden and I and I remember just saying you know brother I I feel like the Lord wants to encourage you that you're right next to the horse and he literally wants you to get on so you can ride again because I felt like that was a strong encouragement that God wanted to give him that he wasn't done with him that there was a lot of things left for him to do, but if he gave up prematurely, he'd miss out on all that. Can you imagine if Peter, way back in the day, is like, I've denied the Savior, and I've actually had a rooster crow at the end of that to remind me of my sin, and I gave up then. Can you imagine all that Peter would have missed out on if he would have done that? Could have, but didn't. And the main ingredient here is that Jesus was praying for him, and he was praying for us. He's our advocate. He's praying for us. So be encouraged. It's not over. Let's go. Let's confess. Even now as we go into worship, I encourage you. There's communion all around in the back. Uh, there's even some gluten-free if you're, uh, you know, get affected by that in the back there in the middle. There's uh, elements up here. Um, let's come. Let's celebrate. Let's worship with the communion this morning together. And let's celebrate the fact that we've been cleansed through that blood and body, symbolized in, in the communion table. You're not welcome to that table if you have yet to receive those ingredients in your heart first, which is Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and saying, Thank you, Lord. Forgive me my sin. But if you have, you're more than welcome. And it's a simple invitation if you decide to just pray that in your heart if you don't know Jesus at this point. If you haven't received him as Lord, simply praying to him, and with your heart asking for cleansing uh, that's available to you, and then the communion's open for you. But let's do that together. Let's sing. If you have prayer, maybe you, you're suffering, maybe you're just feeling like it's too far, it's past the date, God can't do anything now, or you're on the sidelines and he wants to get you back into living for him. You know, there's people going to be praying at the cross, and up here, you can just kneel. So why don't we just stand together and we'll pray. We serve an amazing Father, amen? Gracious Father, loving Father, merciful Father, Father who loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. And we come and we celebrate now and worship. So let's pray together. Let's lift our hands. Let's fall to our knees. Let's do what Peter did and just fall to our knees and pray. Let's take communion. Let's celebrate his offering of love for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We're humbled in your sight. We're undone people. But we're people that desire to have you use us for something more than just living for ourselves trying to gain as much as we can for the sake of just selfish indulgence lord we're, we're through with that we see the lie in it we want to be used by you and i pray god just for for all of us here right now that we would see solace and comfort as a, as that early church was comforted lord that we would fear you the master the curios. but that we would see our comfort in the fact that that curios, you god have done everything for us to be comforted and to be received and to be cleansed. And I pray that as we celebrate that in the communion, now as we worship you in song, as we worship you in prayer, for those that are struggling with faith to get through whatever struggles you have them in right now, God, I pray that they would see you high and lifted up as Isaiah did. So we might all worship you in spirit and truth this morning. Love you, Jesus.